Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Ng Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for today. As usual, you know, we're going to start off talking about undue influence. Yeah, this know? is an article out of uh, Schwab, and it's really interesting, Steve. Um, this talks about recency bias. So you kind of look at what's happened in the recent past, and you extrapolate that into the future, and you assume it's going to be exactly the same. Well, eh, it's far from the truth, and you can make a lot of mistakes if you follow recency bias. So we're going to give some examples, and we're going to dive into that on the first segment. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's funny how people's recent, what's happened recently influences how they perceive the future. It's kind of like you think Clemson's going to win the national title again. That's just not going to happen. I mean, we know. It could happen five (laughs) years in a row, John. You know, I think think we got a chance now. (laughs) (laughs) Just like you thought, Carolina was going to beat Clemson every year. Yeah, that's right. right. Moving right along. (laughs) And the next we're going to talk about, though, how to save a lot when you only make a little. You know, there are a lot of people out there, John, that have modest incomes, and they have this mindset that they'll never get ahead, that they can't save enough money to prepare for retirement or college for their kids or any of those things. And it's simply not true. You just have to adjust your your economies mm-hmm. to scale. And so we're going to talk about that, how to make that happen. And, and, you know, there is hope for the future. That's the good part of this article. It's a great topic. And so I'm excited to dig into that. Um, but, you know, by the way, I'm Steve Marber, and I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, have an MBA in finance, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every week on Friday afternoons. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link on the right-hand side that you can go and listen to the podcast. We have past podcasts here, and we have them categorized by topic. So very easy to listen to us at your convenience. Yeah, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from United Healthcare, Steve, and there was a survey they did recently, and really interesting, about 40% of the 1,000 adults that they surveyed uh, did not know what the, the definition of a health insurance deductible was, and, and I can tell them what that is, because I've, I've paid that you just before. just yours out <laughs> That's right. this year? Is that what happened? Yes, we've That's had what some... What when you start getting older? Yeah, well, it was unfortunately my kids um, oh, okay. had made a uh, trip to the emergency room, Ouch. and um, it. it's uh, that's a pretty expensive venture. So basically, a health care deductible is, is you're paying 100% of whatever that bill is, and um, you know if you have a deductible of 5000 then the first $5,000 of medical cost is going to come, come to you, and then until that point... Um, you pay everything, and then after that, there's some kind of sharing or maybe 100% by the by the uh, uh, insurance company. But, yeah, 40% don't know what that is. That, that was kind of surprising. That is interesting. Yes, the first dollars out, you know, that you that you incur, mm-hmm. you're going to pay that, you know, 100% of that if it's in, within your deductible. And co-pays don't count to that either. Right. I don't think so. I think the, you know, co-pays, like you go to the doctor, you pay $25, and the insurance picks up the rest. Um, after your deductible, so you know there's it's a little more complicated than than meets the eye, but but you need to know what those are. So you need to understand your medical plan because 
those concepts are very important and they affect your bottom line. Absolutely. And they affect your decisions about, you know, where you go for for treatment. So a uh, good financial factor of the week. Okay, and that leads up to our first topic here, and that is the undue influence of recent history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a concept called uh, recency bias, and that just really in s- simplistic terms is looking at what's happened recently and extrapolating that. And um, we see it today. I mean, it's happening. Uh, U.S. markets have done very well for a number of years, and and people are saying, well, why would I own anything but you know U.S.? Why do I own international and and some things like that? You look back into the to the 1990s, Steve. Do you remember the 95 to 99 time frame? Large U.S. stocks averaged about 25 percent a year for wow. five years. That's right. And remember, oh, that was during, I remember it very well. I bet you do. And that was during the tech bubble. And so you couldn't go wrong in technology in large U.S. And, and so that recency bias, people started piling into the U.S. markets and into technology. And they got a rude awakening because the S&P 500, while it made 25% a year for five years, it then went on a 10-year streak where it made zero. That's right. <laughs> and they also expected like double-digit returns mm-hmm. every single year. I mean, you couldn't talk about making 8% a year. Nowadays, you can talk about 8% a year. Somebody thinks, well, that's that's pretty good, you know. Not back then, man. They wanted to hear 12% or more per year, and it was a little crazy. We tried to, you know, tried to give some balance and talk about history and how the market had made about 10 10.5% a year. People really didn't want to hear that. Yes. Um, so recency bias is real. It really affects how people perceive you know, what's the future is going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you can't let recency bias derail your investment plan. You, you just can't. And it's tempting. I mean, there's nothing like a blizzard to drive up demand for snow tires. You remember a couple of years ago when we had the ice storm here in the CSRA and people went out and bought, you know, um, a lot of generators and so forth. They probably haven't used it since. But, um, you know, at, in the in investment market, there is this phenomenon known as recency bias, which is our tendency to believe that something is more likely to happen again because it occurred in the recent past. And actually the inverse is is also true. The longer it's been since an event took place, the less likely we are to believe it's going to happen in the near future. So it's been been a while since we've had a bear market. And, exactly and we don't like right. to talk about negative things, but bear markets are, are normal in the investing world. So it's been a while since we've had that. Yeah, having said that, you know, I've, I've grown across a lot of people nowadays that believe the market will never stay up and continue to make new highs. They, they believe that the market, you know, just like it has done for the past 15 years, it has these huge drops. Mm-hmm. It's a zero-sum game, and it'll come back to somewhere below, to, you know, 20,000 on the Dow. It'll it'll never stay above that level. level it's not sustainable um, because that we've experienced that quite a bit over the last 15 years where the market would go up and come back, go up and come back. Well, you know, that's not really what history says. Over time, the market does make new highs, and it sustains those new highs, and it moves on to more new highs because it does average around 10% per year, has the S&P 500 for the last 80 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, now that's no guarantee of the future, obviously. Um, but at the same time, it, it colors the recent history has colored our thinking quite a bit in people's emotions to feel like, well, they don't want to buy in in this market because it's it's at new highs and it couldn't possibly sustain those highs. So, yeah, no, that's a very good point. I mean, that's you know, I, I think the the takeaway before we get to the bottom here is no one knows. 
That's exactly right. So, but know, I think you have to look at long-term history, not yeah. recent history, and that's kind of what we're driving to here. But when it comes to investing, yeah, I mean, recency bias often manifests itself in terms of direction or momentum. You know, it convinces us that a rising market or individual stock will continue to appreciate or that a declining market or stock is likely to keep falling. And this bias often leads us to make emotionally charged choices and decisions that erode our earning potential by tempting us to hold a stock for too long or to pull out in, in you know too soon and not be diversified. So uh, it's a problem. Yeah, it is. I mean, recency bias, it tends to exa- exacerbate uh, during periods of large market moves. I mean, before the dot-com, dot-com bubble uh, burst in 2000, you know, we talked about that a little bit. They were uh, rapidly appreciating stock prices, convinced a lot of investors to keep riding out the market. And similarly, many who, uh, you know, sold off shares during the 2008-2009 global recession, they missed a lot of the market rally um, since that since that time period you look at you know recently what's the recency bias now it's um, U.S. has outperformed large U.S. has done very very well and people are saying well why would I own international and and the reason why to to be diversified like Dave Ramsey talks about is that no one knows which sector is going to outperform going forward and it is actually riskier to be in one sector than it is to be broadly diversified. Um, and so this recency bias right now is, is people are saying, why why international? Why would you invest in international? Well, and it, it'll be interesting to see, too, how long it takes for the recency bias to switch in people's minds because internationals actually have outperformed the U.S. now for substantially for, I'd say, four months, mm-hmm. three months now. And so it's, you know, if you were looking at, re- if you were really keenly aware of the very recent, you know, history, then you would think we should overweight internationals. Mm-hmm. But people, they haven't really paid attention yet. And they're kind of looking at, you know, previous years, 2015 and 14, and they they haven't really taken notice, I've seen, yeah. of, the, of the more recent history. You know, the mistakes that people make is they look at past performance. Right. And so you look at a sector that's done really well for three years, and you're like, all right, it's time to jump in. That's probably the wrong time to jump into something that's overperformed, right? right? So usually people miss these these trends and, and things um, that change. And so, I mean, the, the best defense is really to look long-term. That's right, and to maintain a diversified approach. I mean, maintaining a long-term investment plan that is well diversified is one of the best defenses against recency bias. I mean, your long-term allocation targets – should reflect your investment goals, your your tolerance for risk, your cash needs. And then periodically you need to reassess your expectations for the long-term performance of the various asset classes. But any resulting changes in your allocation should be should be modest and they need to maintain a mm-hmm. well diversified approach to investing. Yeah, I mean there's some some people that use valuation metrics, price to earnings ratio is one of them to bring some objectivity to your analysis. Um, you know, you should also you know think ahead about how you're going to respond um, if a position exceeds your expectations or, or maybe suffers a, a surprise um, you know decline. If if we look at the market right now, Steve and um, you know the the rally in the market um, driven by you know a lot of people are saying by Trump. Well, you also have to look underneath the hood a little bit and look at earnings. Exactly right. I mean, earnings have improved, and fundamentally, that's what really drives the market is earnings today, and then also forecasting into the future. So there's a reason why the market has done relatively well. Yeah, earnings have changed a lot recently, so that's a big factor, and and it really is driving 
the market to do better recently, but I, I think it, it, it is looking pretty good this year too. Earnings mm-hmm. are projected to be, you know, in the eight to ten to percent growth range um, for the overall market this year. That's very very positive. It is. So so the takeaway here is the recent past. It, it may be fresh on your mind. But putting it in proper context um, can can keep it from having an undue influence on your investment. So, as you talked about, you know, be be properly diversified. Have a plan that you're working within, a framework, because um, you know you start trying to predict the market and trying to get in and out of certain sectors, you're doomed to fail. There is nobody that can consistently do that. So, um, exactly that's right. a that's a good good discussion I think in the time we're in, and uh, we got a, another good one coming up. Exactly. But first, we're going to do the question, question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with life insurance. And uh, the question is, how much do I need for my kids? We do see people that, that come through that have sometimes whole life policies of fifty or 100000 uh, We generally don't recommend life insurance for kids. I mean, our view is life insurance is to protect your income, and kids don't protect your income necessarily. They spend it. <laughs> a Unless lot of your kid is, you know, a famous athlete or something. That's right. I mean, there might be reason to protect your kid's yeah. income if you're living off yeah, of it. That's right. There could I be another Marcus Lattimore out there that's growing up that you may want to put, you know, a, a protection on. But you can have a small policy, a $10,000 add-on to a policy if you want to. That's very minimal. But generally, kids don't need life insurance. That's right. For most kids, you know, it's not going to adversely affect the family's finances if you have uh, life insurance, uh, you don't have life insurance on your child and something happened to them. So definitely don't go out and spend a bunch of money on life insurance yep. for your kids. All right. And that leads up here to our next topic, and that is how to save a lot when you only make a little. Um, okay, John, I mean, savings is hard, saving money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, But it is possible at any income level if you can control your spending. So we have some ideas on that. But retirement fears may loom large when it comes when your income is small. Today, 38% of households say they live paycheck to paycheck, according to a study by the Consumer Federation of America and the Certified Financial Planning Board of Standards. And one-third of Americans worry that they'll never be able to retire, according to this survey. Um, so for many Americans, planning for retirement seems a little too enormous to tackle, and it feels like it's already too late. But um, that's not, simply not true. I mean, if you position yourself right and you save consistently, you can amass a lot of money over time. In fact, if you save just $15 a week for 25 years, um, for instance, you'll have about $62,000 in 25 years on just $15 a week, assuming an 8% rate of return. If you save $30, um, then that's $124,000 in 25 years. Um, so, you know, when you tell people th- that, I mean, they're stunned. Um, and we run into that a lot mm-hmm. when we have to kind of show people, you know, what you can do over time if you're just consistent at saving. So you, you, you can have an amount of money that you never thought you'd be able to save, even on a very modest income. The key is knowing where your money's going and controlling your spending. In fact, just a quick story. When Kathy and I first got married, you've heard this story, you know, a lot of times. We I mentioned it, but you know, I made like twenty-eight thousand um, dollars fresh out of fresh out of college as an engineer. Um, so that was a pretty decent salary. She only made sixteen thousand dollars as a school teacher. Mm-hmm. So we didn't make a ton of money, um, but we set our income so that our our standard of living, so we could live off of my income, and we saved all of her income. Hmm. 
And, you know, I mean, that's that's only, what, $44,000 a year that we were making. And we saved all of our income. And I did the math. Over five years, we would have had $100,000 if we could save her, her salary for five years and save it all after taxes and make 9% return. Mm-hmm. So I did the math on that, and we actually did it. I mean, we had $100,000 after five years wow, that's great. that we were going to put down in a house. Um, we had the audacious goal of paying cash for a house, and that's another story. But, I mean, the point is mm-hmm. you could save a lot of money pretty quickly if you set your standard of living to a lot smaller number than yeah. what you're making. And, and I bet you you had a budget. Exactly. I had a very so, rigid budget. That is the first step is, is you got to have a budget. I met with a couple this last week and a young couple and, um, you know, <clears throat> they have they have about $50,000 in debt. They have two two cars that they're paying on. They had credit cards. They had yep. student loans. And, and so when you're paying someone else all the time and you're not paying yourself, you're not going to build wealth. I mean, cars depreciate in value. So, That's right. So the first thing we talked about was having a budget. They have to do a budget. And you, you say that, that word budget to a lot of people, and they run for the hills. Um, according to a, a, a bank rate um, a security sur- or survey, about 38% of Americans don't track their spending my guess is it's double that. Probably. I mean, people yeah. aren't answering that question. Yeah, they're not truthful. We about see it people coming in that have saved a lot of money, and a lot of them are not doing budgets either. But, you know, when you ask, um, how do you spend your money? A lot of people don't know um, where they're spending it. They're, they're living with what they've got, they're living paycheck to paycheck, and they're certainly not doing any planning. So, having a firm grasp of where your money goes enables you to set some aside for emergency and future goals. You, know, you can you can track your spending with apps, software like Quicken, uh, or by hand with pencil and paper. I mean, it doesn't have to be fancy to be effective. So the only thing that matters is developing a budget that's grounded in reality. And the other thing I'll say is I, I'm a big believer in doing budgets on an annual basis because yeah. if you do it on an annual basis, you'll catch those one-time expenses like Christmas or right. you know everybody needs new tires on their car, right? So if you're not right. saving for that on a monthly basis, it's going to be a surprise. Exactly. Yeah, you got to you got to tally your budget up to an annual number. Mm-hmm. That's yep. exactly right. You know, I mean, you usually have to break it down monthly to get there, yep. but um, you definitely got to catch those one-time things. So that's a good point. Yeah, start with your bank or credit card statements and keep receipts for items that you pay with cash. And as you look back, you know, at where the dollars went over the past month or two, assign your spending to the appropriate category, clothing, travel, car expenses. You know, add a line for emergencies. Generally, you'll need three to six months worth of living expenses to pay for mishaps um, without reaching into credit cards. So that's your emergency fund. you got to have your emergency fund built in there as well. Your budget also should reflect your commitment for saving for retirement. I mean, don't be discouraged if you only have a little $25 a week would be worth $162,000 in 30 years if you assume an 8% annual rate of return. I mean, that's a lot of money for just $25 a week. So most people can do that if they if they really, you know, do a budget and and plan for it. So just be sure to get started. That's the key. The first dollar that you save is the most valuable. We'll start with 1%, 2%, 3% of your salary, but then commit to a plan of auto escalation. Um, so that each year you're increasing the amount that's going in your retirement plan by 1% of your salary. And the numbers will move over time. You know, most plans now offer that, and that's a great feature to turn on 
in your retirement plan is mm-hmm. auto escalation. Yeah, I like that as well. It makes it uh, <clears throat> a no-brainer. It does it for you. And another one here, Steve, is is to plug in fixed costs. And this is kind of what we were talking about um, a minute ago. Is is planning on expenses that are that are steady. So when you look at heating costs, for example, I mean, temperatures increase and decrease and your bills do the same thing. So, you know, instead of your bank um, being iced every time a nor'easter blows through, put it on auto bill and have the same amount every single month. Um, you know, and that goes for other things as well. You know, you're going to have car expenses of $600 a year. Why not put $50 a month into a separate account and build that you know, other account up. So when you do have that auto expense, you can, you can pay for it. So that fixed cost is a great concept. Yeah, absolutely. And also because fees can take a bite out of your budget, it pays to evaluate how much you're paying in interest and fees on your mortgage, insurance policies, credit cards, at least once a year to see if you can find a better deal somewhere else. Um, Online price comparison sites like bankrate.com can make that chore very easy. So shop around on on, you know, various things like your credit cards and, and your insurance each year to make sure you're getting a good deal. Cutting back on things that we love is harder to do. Um, I know you can't live without that daily vanilla soy latte, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, boy. Or maybe just the double latte, you know. Um, but, you know, fine. I mean, but you'll need to be creative about trimming expenses elsewhere to save money. You know, here they give an example of a college freshman, Ben, who's 18, who loves his new cell phone, but he swapped it for a prepaid plan that saved him $840 a year. And he made the switch after digging post holes for the summer under the blazing summer heat. And that'll certainly change your attitude for Mm -hmm. a lot of young people. Um, He says he worked hard for his money, um, so he was going to take it seriously and make sure that he saved every dime he could. And see, it's easier to save if you consider what today's expenses could be worth tomorrow if you invested that money instead. For instance, um, if he had put his hard-earned $840 per year into a Roth IRA account, did that every year, it would grow to $276,000 by the time he's 60 at an 8% rate of return. He'd have over a quarter million dollars mm. just from that cell phone savings mm-hmm. that he got if he did that every year till he's 60. Um, you know, and so if he saves that for, um, you know, just continues to do that every year, he, you're, you're, it adds up. Yeah. It adds up. You're a long ways toward retirement just from that one savings. So that's a great example. Yeah, and another here uh, uh, thought here, Steve, is going green helps. I mean, if you just ask the 78 million Americans who gave up their credit cards for cash, I mean, sure, it's easier to use a debit card, but when you use cash, you're more likely going to say to yourself, do you really need that or, or do I want it? It's more of an emotional answer when you start using your cash. And, and uh, you also have to be ruthless about debt. Um, consumer debt is, is like cancer. I mean, it can uh, ruin your financial situation, and the sooner you pay it off, the more you'll be able to, to pocket over time. So, you know, there's different ways to attack the debt. Dave Ramsey says do the smallest one first um, because you get some momentum. He calls it the debt snowball. Some people say you should do the highest interest rate first. Um, so there's a couple of different ways to look at it. But, you, you know, get a second job to eliminate that as soon as, as possible and commit more to the minimum payment to try to get through it. And if you don't, it's going to stick around for years and years and years, and you will not build wealth. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, pocket the savings that you already have. You know, I mean, take a look at, say, your store receipts. And, um, you know, when Michelle, one of these ladies in the example here, did this, um, she was stunned that she had stashed more than $400 
uh, that she saved from her supermarket bill last year by using coupons and enrolling in the store's loyalty program. And so now the Connecticut mom, she takes this money, she transferred directly to her savings account and um, said so she was looking for a way to get ahead. And she didn't expect it to be so easy, but all she had to do was move the money she was saving from, from her groceries to her savings account and just doing it routinely. Another key here is the pay yourself first. It bears repeating, pay yourself first. Because if you pay yourself first, um, you know, before you get your hot little hands on the money, it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And so you got to make it go directly to your savings before you get a chance to spend it. If you don't have a retirement plan at work, open one on your own. Um, you may need a, a minimum, you know, required deposit to be able to do that. And IRAs generally maybe a thousand to three thousand dollars. But some banks, brokerages, they waive that requirement. If you can start saving with just a little and do it routinely, um, TD Ameritrade, for example, currently has no minimum on their Roth IRA accounts. Uh, Fidelity and Charles Schwab, they waive their minimum if you're open and balance uh, requirement when you sign up for a monthly direct debit into your Roth account. You know, and that appealed to uh, Matthew here in this example. He was 19 years old after getting a part-time job from high school. A couple years ago, um, his dad recommended that he started saving, and so he says it wasn't a ton of money, but he took his advice, and the account he set up debited $100 a month. Um, that automatically transferred to his Roth IRA, and so that's the way to do it. Set mm-hmm. it up automatically. Just get started. That's really the key is get started and start making something happen. Yeah, another option here, Steve, is employer plans. I mean, that's a great option. Um, most people have access to 401Ks or 403Bs. Uh, enroll pronto. I mean, the earnings are stashed before they're spent or taxed, and um, it's something that you're going to be able to use in retirement. And, and many employers match a percentage of the contributions. Um, so if you put in 3%, a lot of times they'll they'll put in 3% as well. And that's free money. It doesn't come any better than that. So make sure you take care of your match. Exactly. So the point here in all this is, you know, you, you got to get started now and make it automatic you got to have a budget. you got to get your emergency funds set up. But once you do that, start saving in your 401k plan. Get the match or save into a Roth. Make it automatic so it automatically comes out of your, your bank account every single month or out mm-hmm. of your paycheck. And, and just find places you can save money. And every time you find a place you can save money, direct that money automatically to your to your retirement and I to like the future the auto escalation is a kind of a neat feature as well a that's great a good feature forced way of increasing that percent that you're saving and you won't even notice it because I mean you <clears throat> might get a three percent raise every year or two percent raise take one percent of that of your salary and increase your retirement plan contribution yep. that's a key so all right great topic that leads us up here to our final topic and that is the prescription of the week yeah this is um uh about Facebook security, right? Security, Facebook security. So um, consider using a different birthday on Facebook because you think about it. Um, you're basically publishing what your date of birth is, which um, I'm That's sure your key pieces of it personal is. information. I'm sure your friends wouldn't do anything with it, but you know, there's a lot of people can see access probably more than you think to your Facebook profile. Uh, I know some people that have put in a, a birthday in their 20 years old, and they're showing up as like 92 years old. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, you I, just got to be careful with that. That's exactly right. And I did that to mine, and I get people that are wishing me happy birthday on the wrong day. <laughs> Sometimes John, you know, as we yeah, right, that. right. But it's only a few days off, and, and, and the year is also off a little bit. 
it, but I do that for security reasons because you're right. I mean, what happens is identity theft, they need about three or four key pieces of information. They need your social security number. They need your birth date. They need maybe your address. You know, and once they, they start piecing all that together, they can steal your identity. Mm -hmm. So why give them one of the key pieces of information just free out there on Facebook? I mean, I don't know why Facebook wants that information. It's for marketing purposes, maybe. It's for the the whole social media yeah, birthday I thing. Think it's but social, yeah. They don't need the exact information. <clears throat> yeah, I would audit alter that a little bit. Um, you can hide it on Facebook. I think Facebook. you can block it, right, right. You can, but then Facebook still knows, and yeah. who knows what they do with that information, yeah. and what if they get hacked. So I just prefer not to have that information out there. So just be careful where you, where you let your personal information go. So keep it keep it kind of uh, under wraps out there. That's right. Good good thought. Yep. All right. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.